It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team It is Locked On Jazz for the 29th of April. Player previews, the deep dive on each of our guys begins today. We'll start it with Ricky Rubio. We'll react to last night's action and some interesting news about the Rockets and statistical refereeing analysis. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked On Jazz. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA Insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, lots of geeky numbers, hopefully some insight that makes it better for you to be a Utah Jazz fan. We have no offseason. True fans have no offseason on the Locked on Podcast Network. Uh, so we'll still be coming to you for most of it. I'll take some vacation, do some things predominantly in June. Uh, for the next little period of time, we're going to run deep dive into our player previews. Uh, each of them will be formatted similarly. We'll look at their career, their splits, uh, on off. Then we'll take a look at, um, how the team played with them on the floor versus off the floor, their, their impact, um, on the team. We'll break down their offensive game in different aspects. Then we'll look at their shooting and their points gained. Uh, and break that down for each and all of our players. Uh, today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Murdoch Chevy, as well as Iron Gate Global Advisors. Uh, there is a firestorm brewing right now in the NBA from last night's game. Uh, the, um, the NBA, Daryl Morey has leaked to Sam Amick, who you hear on Locked on NBA every week, um, the deep their research on officiating, and after last night's game, basically went public with it by giving it to, or somebody gave it to Sam Amick, and runs through their whole issue, extending back to last game that the Rockets went through every line tallying all the missed calls for every team, adding up potential points that were lost along the way. The Rockets, according to sources, had a double-digit point deficit in six of the seven games last year against the Warriors, and all sources say they were harmed by the tune of 93 points. I don't actually know it's Daryl Morey. He just tweeted something out earlier. Game seven was the worst. Research showed that the league issue report indicated they were Eight should have had 18 more points. More specifically, two of the 27 missed three-pointers that the Rockets had were ruled to be missed foul calls. Um, the landing space play that the Rockets were furious with after game one was an issue in game seven. Um, and, you know, the rule is that defenders are required to allow shooters to safely return to the floor. The problem is that these guys have altered the way they're returning to the floor. Um, and that, so it's getting tricky. 
This is always the case. Zaza Pachulia, I thought, you know, stepped into Kawhi Leonard. I thought Clay Thompson brutally stepped underneath James Harden on multiple occasions. Um, but Harden shoots in a fashion where he's coming forward, and Chris Paul shoots like he's been shot. So Chris Paul, I find very hard to officiate um, and give any credence to at all. Um, Daryl Morey sent out a tweet last night after Mark Cuban tweeted out, um, and Mark Cuban's been mad ever since the 2006 finals. Uh, Mark Cuban tweeted out the last two-minute report will be interesting. Daryl Morey sent the tweet, um, I've been charting this ever since 2006, which was a reference to the Mark Cuban finals. So then you have Rudy Gobert tweeting last night with, um, and the final followed by Donovan Mitchell saying, you could have just given me the money. Uh, it was pretty interesting little night for the NBA with all that's going on right now. Uh, the games last night, Boston and Milwaukee was a stunner. Al Horford's defense on Giannis was great. It's going to be really interesting to see whether Giannis can adapt. I mean, honestly, that's, that's the next step in his career is to find out whether he, if, you know, is, he's had, he had a great playoff series last year, which they lost. Um, and the question is, is, does he have the ability to adapt and do other things and, and change a little bit of what he's doing as a player? He, you know, during the regular season, this is a guy that took of his 1200 shots, he took 800 inside five feet. Um, and just does, you know, does very little anywhere else. Five to nine feet, he took about, Eight percent of his shots, and he was less than five percent, ten to fourteen feet. Um, he took one hundred sixteen mid-range shots, so he he gets to the basket. His he took of his shots this year. He took nine hundred and thirty of his twelve hundred shots in the paint. So I don't know what his adaptability is, uh, but the. Celtics certainly took away uh, his comfort zone. Great defense by Al Horford and played a defense that was somewhat similar to what the Jazz did, which is come to me. I'm Al Horford. I can move laterally. I'm pretty big, and you're going to have to come to me. And if you want to shoot from the outside, you can do that. Now, he went three of five from threes, but he went four of 16 on twos. So very interesting to watch out that defense. The Warriors-Rockets game was great. Uh, the Rockets got jazz-itis in their shooting. Harden went 4 of 16. Eric Gordon went 4 of 13. And it was still a four-point game. Warriors didn't shoot it great either, frankly. Um, Warriors started their death lineup, which was interesting. They got nothing off their bench. My whole theory was that the Rockets are going to lose this series because the minutes in which Harden is off the floor when Chris Paul is on, I think that turned out to be true in game one. Chris Paul was minus seven. James Harden was plus three. So that leads me to believe that in the, you know, it's not exactly right, but in some of those minutes, um, they were certainly minus. Um, so we'll have to see that whether that bench unit can play, but the the Warriors have the ability to not really uh, 
have a bench unit. Though the minutes played on the Warriors, Green 40, Durant 43, Clay Thompson 41. I mean, they just, McKinney played nine, Bogut played five, Livingston 14, Looney 16. Those are, that's a, that's a little unnerving if you're a Warrior fan to, uh, what, what kind of depth they have. So interesting to see. I thought both those teams looked great, frankly. Um, I didn't watch that game thinking to myself we could beat both those teams. I think I will do that tonight um, and feel that way uh, toward that one. And I frankly thought the the, the Celtics looked incredible um, last night. And, you know, those four teams are in the Eastern Conference are pretty darn good uh, as well. All right, we'll get into our Ricky Rubio deep dive. Um, I don't have a – the NBA officiating, here would be my summation. The landing area issue everyone's going to talk about um, – is real. I, I just really think the off offensive offhand is a bigger issue. Um, and what I don't know in regards to the off offensive offhand is whether or not if you really took it away, would you take away offense? And that's what's got to be um, figured out. Today's show is brought to you by Murdoch Chevy. Tyson uh, Murdoch is up at Murdoch Chevy. I mean, Chevy. We're talking about the bread and br- butter. Of Americana, right? That That is what Chevy is. I mean, the Chevy truck lineup is legendary. Um, Murdoch's and Utah have been together for 90 years doing Chevy. It's pretty incredible. You got the heavy-duty Silverado, the light-duty half-ton Silverado. You got the mid-size Colorado. Um, the Allison transmission, great lineup. The unibody frame. That's why Chevy trucks is what they are. They, The Murdoch family and Chevy and Utah... 90-plus years of just running deep into our culture. The lineup of SUVs is terrific as well. There's the Suburban and the Tahoe, which are just legendary vehicles. The Equinox is the mid-sized SUV. I drove it for a while. It was just terrific. The Traverse has the third row of seatings. There's also the tracks, and the Blazer is back. So if you're in the market for an SUV, check it out as well. You'll get that special Murdoch treatment when you head over there. The Murdoch Guarantee. Um... I was actually got a massage this weekend, and my masseuse. Um, I've got a problem with one of my legs. Actually, I just got a massage, but I actually got it because more of a therapeutic, but um, for biking. And uh, he and I were talking. His, his wife had just gone and bought a car by herself over uh, at Murdoch. It was actually at Murdoch Hyundai, but he was talking about the Murdoch family. What an amazing experience it was! And I was laughing the whole time. Like he doesn't even know that I do sponsorships for them. So anyway, he was like a walking advocate of the Murdochs as well. Uh, that is who the Murdochs are. Uh, the no regrets policy. That is all at Murdoch Chevy in Woods Cross, also up in Logan. Life is complicated, especially right now. You're spending more time inside, unable to go to restaurants, and that means you're cooking dinner. But if you're like me, I hate cooking. Multiple trips to the grocery store, hours of monotonous meal prep just so you can scarf down your food in minutes. So when it's dinner time, I grab my phone, open up an app, and order something. But after convenience fees, delivery fees, and who knows whatever other fees, it ends up being close to $100 for two people. But then I met Freshly. Just put up your feet and relax while Freshly chefs and nutritionists do all the hard work. All you do is heat for three minutes and dinner's done. Imagine a better for you golden oven fried chicken, steak peppercorn with sauteed carrots and French green beans, and my personal favorite, buffalo chicken with loaded mashed cauliflower. It's got fewer carbs. That's just a few of the 30-plus health-conscious options to choose from. Freshly understands that food needs to be delicious, healthy, and simple because let's be honest here, if it's not easy, I'm not going to do it, and if it doesn't taste good, I don't want to eat it. 
Freshly is offering our listeners $40 off, $40 off for their first two orders at Freshly.com slash locked on NBA. That's Freshly.com slash locked on NBA. All right, let's dig into Ricky Rubio. Uh, Ricky finished the year averaging 12 and a half points, four rebounds, six assists. Um, the numbers very similar to last year across the board. Um, his effective field goal percentage was down to 45.8. The league average effective field goal percentage, um, is, is up from that. Uh, Ricky is a well below average, uh, shooter. The league average effective field goal percentage this year was 52.4 and Ricky is at 45.8. His career number is a 43.3. He has improved greatly since coming to Utah in his two years with the Jazz, but he was a historically bad shooter before he came, so he was never able to quite get it up to average in the last two years uh, overall in his shooting. His free throw attempts were the exact same as a year ago. His minutes were down about 1.5. His shot attempts were the exact same. His three-point shot attempts uh, were virtually the same. He shot 31% from three. He shoots 32 0.2% from three. One thing you'll hear me talk about a lot is the rule of 750. The rule of 750 talk is that you take someone's last 753 point attempts and that'll tell you what they'll shoot for their next 750, uh, three point attempts. That the 750 is the number that gives you actually the best indicator of what is coming. Over the last three years, Ricky has shot 723 Three-point attempts, so that seems like a a pretty um, high sample. Um, in those, if you take that rule of 750 with Ricky, and you talk about all of his growth and everything else about Ricky, um, the expectation you should have for Ricky Rubio in his shootings of of three-point shots uh, is 32.5 percent. So he has moved his career's 32.2. He's gotten a little bit better. But there's nothing dramatic. If you're, he's a career 38.8% shooter. He's been better than that the last two years. But if you're expecting an average shooter, that's, I think, a false pretense to believe that that's possible, um, with Ricky Rubio. That's just, that's just not who he is. He's a below average shooter. The Jazz turned him into a, uh, a slightly below average shooter. He came to the Jazz as a historically bad shooter. Uh, he has been considerably better on the road than at home over the last two years. He shot, 43% on the road and 37% at home. That's the exact same thing that happened a year ago. Uh, his win-loss numbers were not as different this year as they were a year ago. Um, he shot 42% in wins and 39% in losses, but he shot better from three. Um, his usage was uh, higher in losses. Um, there was no post-All-Star break bump or anything of that sort. Um, he shot He shot better Played much, played better against the Eastern Conference. His true shooting percentage against the Eastern Conference, 55%. True shooting percentage against the Western Conference is 50%. Um, league average true shooting percentage is 56%. So against the Eastern Conference guards, Ricky was a little bit closer to average. Um, that's because he got to the free throw line a little bit more. When he gets to the line, he actually turned out um, to be okay. Uh, how do the Jazz play with him on or off the floor? Ricky, you know, Plays with such heart, such soul. Um, in theory, this would be the number that shows you, you know, where that kind of stuff shows up. Um, it's all, frankly, my point on that is like everyone always, I always love when people say, well, the numbers don't show. Okay. Well, you know what? 
if I can't find somewhere in the numbers that you have a positive impact on the team, then actually it doesn't exist. You know, oh, he's got such great heart and soul. The numbers don't show. Yeah, actually they do. Somewhere in there, if you look hard enough, you should be able to find something that shows your impact on the floor or off the floor or things of that nature. Or else that heart and soul stuff is not having an impact, right? Like, does that make sense? It's great to talk about it, but if you can't find it somewhere in numerically to say we're better when he's on the floor or off the floor or other players play better when he's on the floor or off the then, then it's, then this is bad, right? Like, then there's no value to it. Uh, the Jazz offense was virtually the exact same with Ricky on the floor and off the floor within point three, and same was the defense. So the Jazz did not have, um, an enormous impact, uh, in big changes there. Um, some of the stuff that's interesting though is how Ricky does kind of, um, impact some of the offensive stuff and defensive things when he's on the floor. Um, the Jazz shooting percentage is 1.2 percentage points better when Ricky's on the floor. So for even though his shooting is inadequate, the team shoots better when he's on the floor. The turnover rate is down when he's on the floor. The problem is the free throw rate is down as well, and overall the offense is the same. Defensively, team, the opponents shoot considerably higher against the Jazz when he's on the floor, which is interesting because he spends a lot of his minutes with Rudy Gobert on the floor. A little disconcerting. For two years in a row, the opponent's effective field goal percentage, which is probably the single most important statistic, is better when Ricky's off the floor. Uh, we force way more turnovers when he's on the floor. 91st, 92nd percentile difference there. But I'm not sure that's worth it. I think he ga- he must gamble. Def- this numbers would tell you that he gambles a lot defensively and it opens up opportunities for the other team. Um, so that's a little, that's pretty disconcerting. Overall, the defense um, is the exact same. Last year it was better when he was on the floor. Um, this year it was the exact same. The shot frequency of the Jazz does change a little bit. We take much, we take fewer threes and fewer corner threes and fewer overall threes when he's on the floor, um, and we increase our mid-range jump shots um, a decent amount when he's on the floor. Our half-court offense, though, is uh, plus two better uh, when he's on the floor in half-court. Our tradition, our transition offense is a little bit better um, when he's on the floor. So uh, opponent shot frequency, um, they opponents take uh, – much fewer shots at the rim when Ricky's on the floor. I'm not sure why that is um, and what the impact of that is. Um, teams' defenses, though, as we talked about, their half-court offenses are much better um, when Ricky is on the floor than off the floor the opponents are, which is not great uh, overall uh, to see that. So that's Ricky's on-floor impact on the team. Uh, let's go look at some of his offensive impact. He was the Jazz' um, best pick-and-roll player. Um, this last year. Uh, and this would be really when you talk about what kind of the overriding theme to this is, you know, whether you want Ricky to come back or not. This would probably be the one that should have the Jazz really thinking. Um, the other ones I just gave you could say move on. Ricky in the pick and roll is a 1.01 player. Um, next is Ingles at .97 and then Donovan at .91. And we're a pick-and-roll team. That's what we do. Uh, his pick-and-roll with Favors was a 1.04. His pick-and-roll with Gobert was a .99. His pick-and-roll with Donovan, actually, and they kind of slipped that pick, was really good at 1.09. So Ricky was the best pick-and-roll player uh, on the Jazz um, roster this year 
at, and as the point guard um, for that. Isolation play, which becomes important um, as we saw in the playoffs every now and then, just the ability to make a play, um, which is so important. Uh, Ricky Rubio's isolation game is a point eight one. Uh, he only had 66 isolations all year. It's just not what he does. Um, it's about one and a half a game. Point eight eight is pretty poor. Um, if you take the top 100 isolation players, which Ricky would not be um, would not be a part of. Um, sorry, I just pushed a button I didn't mean to. I ended up getting every Jazz isolation ever because I somehow didn't say what season I was looking at. Uh, if you take the top... 100 isolation players in the league, the guys who've taken over, well, let's call it, you know, 100 isolation attempts over the season. Um, you end up with about the top 95.88 uh, would rank him, point eight, uh would rank him right about 80, 85th out of 94 isolation players. So he's... He's one of the worst. You know, he's very poor. We kind of know that about him. Isolation um, type player. Now, the Jazz offense is largely predicated on the drive, pick and roll, and the drive game. Um, his drive, uh, his drive game offensively. Um, if you're going to, you know, create off the drive um, for the Jazz and either points off of his drives he was a 1.07 so other than Howell Neto he was the best on the Jazz roster um, last year Uh, he had 890 drives so that's something he does um, very very well if we take the top 100 drive players in the NBA those guys who've had over 400 drives this last year um, Ricky ranked 23rd out of 98 players in his drive ability. So there you get into his strength um, as an offensive player. We'll look at his shooting, his QSQ, and some of those things when we continue here on Locked on Jazz. But right now, let's hear from Spencer Nelson and Irongate Global. I want to tell you about Irongate Global Advisors, a financial group out of Salt Lake City, small shop that understands your journey, aren't pushing products on you, and have a strategy, direction, and process. I found out about them from Spencer Nelson, former Utah State great, who, by the way, has an MBA, accounting and finance background degrees, and worked Wall Street in private equity. And he tells me about the personnel. Brian is the chief investment officer. Brian's a long-term investor, Warren Buffett disciple with a proven track record of active management. He views investing as not trading stocks but buying pieces of businesses that he believes in. He's focused on not getting caught up in what's hot today or tomorrow, but doing the research, looking one, three, five, even 10 years out with a very patient, methodical approach. Couple that with Brett and his longtime options background, and you have a versatile group. It's Iron Gate Global Advisors. To find out more about Iron Gate Financial, give Spencer a call, 888-591-0334. That's 888-591-0334. Or email him at spencer at igga.com. Anytime we're talking investing, understand that past performance isn't indicative of future results. Also, options may not be for everyone. They have different risks. Make sure you consult a professional before doing anything with them. Do your due diligence. 
Hi, this is Nate Duncan from Locked On's Hollinger and Duncan podcast. Those of you who listen to our show know that I try to take a measured approach. I'm not prone to hyperbole. It really takes something special to get me excited. But with all that said, Theragun is simply one of the best products that I have ever used. I just turned 40. I've always loved to work out, to play basketball when it's safe. And as I got into my 30s, it just wasn't possible to do that anymore the way I wanted to because my body didn't feel right. And Theragun has helped me fix so many of the aches and pains. I've tried everything, massages, chiropractors, this at-home device, handheld percussive therapy has worked better than any of those for me. And now the all-new Gen 4 Theragun has a proprietary brushless motor. It's so quiet. It's no louder than an electric toothbrush. And best of all, you can try Theragun risk-free for 30 days. There's no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4 with an OLED screen, personalized Theragun app, and the quiet and power you need starts at only $199. Go to theragun.com slash locked on, the name of this network right now, and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash locked on, theragun.com slash locked on. One more note on Rubio's drives. 12 a game, shoots 49% of those drives, which for Ricky's pretty darn good. Uh, he also passes 54% of the time. So Ingles passes more than anyone else in the league right about that same number at 54%. So, you know, when you think about the Jazz getting the blender going, driving, kick, whole game, that's the essence of Rubio. So the highest pass rates in the league of players that actually drive it, Teodosic, Calderon, Darius Miller, some of those guys, Oh, but then you get into Darren Collison is at a 62% pass rate. Really small, has a hard time finishing. Um, Fred Van Vliet's at a 59% pass rate. Corey Joseph's at a 58% pass rate. Kyle Lowry's at a 58% pass rate. DJ Augustine's at a 57% pass rate. And then you get into who I, you know, Joe and Rubio. So they're high up on the list of passing out of those drives and, um, to what we were talking about. Now that's also where suddenly when you play the Houston Rockets and they're not switched, they're not leaving guys because they're switching and you're not a very good isolation player and you pass off your drives, it gets, it gets a little tricky. All right. Let's look at the catch and shoot stuff, uh, and look at his, at the shooting game of, of Ricky, um, and his off the bounce, uh, just let's look at his shooting, basically. Uh, so catch and shoot threes this year. Rubio was 33.7% on three a game. It's a little, little bit of a, uh, that you'll see that in a moment. That's, that's awfully low. Um, so Rubio took 181. He made 61 of those. Uh, if he takes a catch and shoot anywhere, it's 33%. Overall on all, um, catch and shoots. If he's a pull up shooter, as, uh, for Ricky, the numbers are actually even worse and he really struggled to finish the year. Um, that's where that pull up three in, in game five was a little hard to swallow, uh, that he took in his pull up shooting three game was 18 of 66 from three, 27% and below that, to close the year. Let's try to put those in perspective um, for a second and look at players um, for the season that took over, we'll take it as over 150 three-point attempts on the catch and shoot. Um, so that's about 
you know, Ricky, it's probably two a ball game. Um, overall, oops, I actually ran the, sorry, ran the wrong number. I said equal 150 and nobody came up. So the best catch and shoot guys in the league, obviously, are Steph Curry and Chris Middleton and, um, at 30, at 40%. And we come down, uh, and get a hundred, get, uh, Ricky comes in at, must have, must have too big a filter here for, um, Oh, pull-up shooting. Sorry, let me do catch and shoot. That was catch and, that was pull-up shooting. So let's do that again with, uh, three-point shooting on catch and shoots where Ricky was at a 150%. We'll take guys that have taken over a hundred, 150 is kind of bat dropping him and probably not advantageous to him, um, from a standpoint of looking at a fair number. So players that have taken, um, more than a hundred, uh, regular season catch and shoots. So the best in the league were Seth Curry, Joe Harris, Malcolm Brogdon, all in the 40s. There are 222 players that took that many threes. Ricky coming in at 33% we talked about finds himself um, at about 180th, 170th. I don't have the exact number uh, for you of all catch-and-shoot players. So 170th out of 222 guys. Um just you might get a chuckle out of this. Trey Lyles was the worst catch and shoot guy in the league. Point guards um, that Ricky, other point guards whose catch and shoot numbers were um, as low as Ricky's catch and shoot three. Eric Bledsoe, which is important to that series that's taking place, was at twenty nine percent this year. He's the worst catch and shoot point guard um, in the NBA. Uh, Lonzo Ball, 31.8%. Russell Westbrook, 31.9%. Uh, Derek White, San Antonio, 33%. And then Ricky Rubio, 33.7%. So of point guards took at least 100 catch-and-shoot threes, Ricky ranked fifth worst in the NBA. It's just not a strength, right? Pull-up shooting, uh, same Results actually probably even a little less good. Um, if we take guys that took at least 50 pull-up threes over the year uh, and you start running it, you end up with with Joe Harris being the best in the NBA again at 45%. Troy Daniels, actually Brooke Lopez, Kyle Korver is the second, uh, fourth best off the bounce three-point shooter. There are, of guys who've taken 50, there's 138 of them, um, in the NBA, uh, who took that many three-point shots. Ricky Rubio ranks about 120th of that group. John Wall of point guards would be the worst. DeLon Wright would be the second, uh, worst. Tyus Jones would be third at 26%. Westbrook at 26%. Malcolm Brogdon off the bounce at 27%. And then Ricky Rubio uh, at 27% off the bounce, three-point shooting. Goran Dragic is there as well. It's not an easy shot. That's not that's not an easy one as well. But those two numbers will lead to the next thing we're going to look at, which is if you look at shooting and QSQ, only DeLon Wright had a worse performance at, compared to QSQ uh, for of offensive of point guards this year. Um, in the NBA compared to Ricky. So, um, if you take 
guys who actually play. Um, I mean, like the worst is Yuta Watanabe and Marquise Chris and Caleb Schwanigan. Those guys, you know, barely sniff. Um, but if you take guys that actually took a lot of shots this year or or played a decent amount, Stanley Johnson, if you take over 400 shot attempts, Stanley Johnson was the worst shooter in the NBA um, this last year. Uh, I think actually showing here Rondé Hollis Jefferson, then Josh Okoge, then Draymond Green was, uh, and then Dorian Finney-Smith, then Stanley Johnson. So if point guards DeLon Wright was the uh, worst guard shooter, Lonzo Ball, and then Ricky Rubio. So Rubio, QSQ shooting, was the third worst um, shooter in the NBA. Finally, let's go to uh, points gained. Ricky was a minus one this year. He took 25% of his shots as threes, went to the free throw line 10% of his times. And the key on Rubio has always been the ability to get to the line. When he gets to the line, his QSQ or his points gained is okay this year. Uh, he didn't do that enough. Uh, he was a minus 1.0. Um, Terry Rozier is the same. D'Angelo Russell was a minus 1.1. Goran Dragic a minus 1.1. 1. 1. Uh, one of the values here is Ricky doesn't use it. He only uses 12 possessions a night. So unlike D'Angelo Russell, he uses 20. Uh, Corey Joseph was a minus 7. It's interesting. A lot of these names are the names you're going to hear bantied about. Alfred Payton was a minus 1.2. John Wall, a minus 1.2. Colin Sexton, a minus 1.3. Ish Smith. J.J. Barea, Lonzo Ball, minus 1.5. Dennis Schroeder, 1.6. Dennis Smith, 1.6. Chris Dunn, minus 1.8. Frank Nilakina, minus 2. And Russell Westbrook, minus 2.7. So when you start to look at Ricky, you know, in some of these, he's because he doesn't use a lot of possessions because he gets the line a decent amount at 10% of his possessions, he actually isn't as, you know, poor as some of the Tyus Jones is a minus 1.0. That's another name you're going to hear about this year. Um is a possibility. Uh, the minus 1.0 is not good. Uh, don't misunderstand that. But for someone who's as below average a shooter, as we talked about, that ability to get to the free throw line definitely equalizes um, some of the areas in which uh, his anal- for his analysis. So overall, that's the breakdown on Ricky Rubio. Obviously, shooting is not a strength. Uh, team performance we got into and shows that his drive game matches what the Jazz do very well. His ability to get to the free throw line um, is what makes him more palatable than just his poor shooting. Um, the final one to look at would be shot distribution, and that's just a question. Is anything dramatically changing at 28 years of age? Is there any signs of decline or things of that nature? And he actually is the exact opposite. He took 23% of his shots at the rim this year, up from 17% the year before and 19 the year before that. So that's a really uh, a good sign. His long twos went down from 25% to 15%. And his, so his shot distribution this year got far better um, as a player overall and does not show signs of aging decline at 28, 29 years old that he can't get to the rim uh, or anything of that sort. Fouls drawn, which is another sign of aging, uh, was the exact same as a year ago in fewer games. Uh, he drew 69 fouls, uh, lat this year compared to 71 the year before. It's actually, it's been a little decline. It was actually 84 and 85 in Minnesota, but nothing, um, significant. Um, turnovers were about what they are for him. Uh, nothing dramatically different. Um, in, in that regard and his fouls committed on 
Uh, defensively, which if those spike, it's a sign you're slowing down side to side, none of that. So there's no signs of aging. I think he's made his progression as a career and he is the player he is at this point. Um, at 20, turning 29 years old, uh, this next October. I think you know exactly who you're getting with Ricky and exactly what he is um, as a player, and the heart and soul is real. All right, that's your Ricky Rubio breakdown. We'll continue those throughout the week. That is your edition of Locked on Jazz today. Make sure you go catch Locked on NBA. Josh Lloyd has the local experts on the biggest stories of all the NBA playoffs and more. Uh, Alex Jensen, rumored for that Cleveland job. We'll keep a tab on that. You can listen to Locked on Cavaliers if you want to get the latest on that job search and see how it impacts Alex. See what takes place there. It is locked up. Rejecting the screen has been retweeted by Kobe, Dame Lillard, and Vince Carter. So it's fair to say you should give it a shot. I'm Noah Kozlov. And I'm Adam Stanko. Rejecting the screen hits your feed every Tuesday and Thursday. On Tuesday, we talk hoops and a little bit of life. On Thursday, we go ISO with a guest. Stories from anyone and everyone who has touched the NBA with tales we promise you've never heard before. Find Rejecting the Screen right now wherever you get podcasts, and hit that subscribe button.